Siyoto Ofa and welcome to the Tokyuka Mail podcast. We find out that Moenga Ngongo becomes the new Finao and he is recognized as such by all the chiefs of Vava'u. He immediately enacts a rebuilding plan of Vava'u. With the advice of his uncle, they agree to rebuild the Feletoa fortress and bring all of his uh, warriors and all their families into the fortress so that they can also keep an eye on them as well. Um, the whole focus of this rebuilding Vava'u was bring back Vava'u to its agricultural glory. And so uh, a lot of the um, plantations were destroyed in the wars. And so the first priority for the new Finau was to rebuild everything back that was destroyed in the wars. Tupoto'a comes to visit Vava'u and to pay his last respects to his brother, Finau Ulukalala. And then we find out that Tatuitonga uh, passed away. And so that's where we're at. And let's continue to this next episode. This is actually the final episode that we see a Mariner spending his last few months in Tonga. And no, this is not a spoiler alert. I mean, hello, we know he goes back to England because that's how we get this book. So let's start the 21st episode of the Tokyuka Mea podcast. <laughs> So we ended the last episode with a Mariner on a fishing excursion to the outer islands of Vava'u and he sees to the western horizon a, the sail of a European vessel. And um, of course, he's excited by this because this could possibly be his ticket home. As I was one evening returning homeward in my canoe after having been out three days, I spied a sail in the western horizon just as the sun had descended below it. This heart-cheering sight no sooner caught my attention than I pointed it out to the three men in my canoe with me, my servants that worked on my plantation, and desired them to paddle me on board, holding out to them what advantageous opportunity now offered itself to enrich themselves with beads, access, looking glasses, etc., an opportunity which they might never again meet with. To this they replied that they had seen her before, but their fear of my wishing to go on board prevented them from pointing her out to me. They had often heard the chief say that they never meant to let me go if they could help it, and hence they were apprehensive that their brains would be knocked out if they suffered me to escape. I then condescended to entreat them to pull towards the vessel, promising them very rich rewards. After conversing together and muttering something between themselves, they told me that notwithstanding the esteem and respect they had for me, they owed it as a duty to their chiefs to refuse my request. And upon this, they began to paddle towards the nearest shore. I instantly demanded in an elevated tone of voice why they talked about the fear of chiefs. Were they not my servants? And had I not a right to act with them as I pleased? I then took in my hand my musket from behind me when the man who sat next immediately declared that if I made any resistance, he would die in opposing me rather than allow me to escape. Upon this, I summoned up all my strength and struck him with the most violent blow, or rather a stab near the loins, with the muzzle of the piece. 
claiming at the same time, Strike your God, there is your death. And so basically, this man, his name was Theo Fononga, uh, Mariner pretty much beat the shit out of him, and I think he died later. But uh, Mariner justifies this because Deofononga was a notorious wife beater. And uh, and even at one point, uh, he uh, dabbled in cannibalism and even killed some of his own children. So uh, Mariner also instructed the other two that if they tried to stop him, that he was basically going to beat the shit out of them too. Deofononga uh, was a known warrior. Um, everyone knows his reputation for being a warrior, but the other two have never been to war and never, um, you know, had to fight hand-to-hand -hand, uh, combat with anybody else. So Mariner knew that he had the upper hand. He also knew that it was shark season, so they won't jump um, over and swim to the shore because then the sharks will get them. So they had no choice but to help him reach the ship. And uh, Mariner said it took all night to reach the ship, which they did early morning. He writes, as soon as the canoe pulled up along the side of the brig, I, without stopping to hail on the impulse of the moment, jumped up into the main chains and had liked to have been knocked overboard by the sentinel who took me for a native. For my skin had grown very brown, my hair was long, and it was tied up in a knot with a turban around my head and an apron of leaves of the sea tree around my waist. This disguise would have warranted the conduct of the sentinel, but as soon as I spoke English and told him I was an Englishman, he allowed me to come on deck where I addressed the captain, who cordially shook hands with me. The captain had heard from the captain of a schooner the whole unfortunate affair of the Porto Prince, for the schooner brought away two men from one of the islands during that time that I was in another quarter upon some business for Finau. The captain presented me with a pair of trousers and a shirt. The latter, it must be said, was neither very new nor very clean. In consequence, I took the pains to wash it and hung it up in the rigging to dry. In the morning, however, it had disappeared at the honest instigation of somebody. Hence, my whole stock of apparel consisted of the said pair of trousers, nor did I get better provided till I arrived in China about seven weeks afterwards. Oops, and I had mispronounced uh, schooner. It's actually schooner. Schooner with a K sound, but it's spelled S-C-H-O-O-N-E-R, schooner. So this vessel was the English brig favorite from Port Jackson, Australia, and it was captained by Captain Fisk. And um, they were in uh, Tongan shores, but they had just procured uh, 90 tons of mother-of-pearl shells from Tahiti and sandalwood from Fiji, and they were en route to China. Manor states, I requested the captain to give the men in the canoe which brought me some beads as a reward for their trouble and also an axe as a present for Finau. The captain liberally complied, and the canoe left the ship with a message from me to the king, requesting him to come on board. As to the wounded man, he was in all probability dead. At least the other two seemed to think so by his not stirring, and so took no trouble about him. Shortly after, 200 small canoes and several large canoes arrived near the favorite, and they brought yams and hogs. Yams, remember every time we say yams, they're actually talking about Ufi. And provisions for the ship, and then Finau and his sister, and several of her female attendants came on board. Um, and they brought five large hogs for Mariner, and 40 large Ufi. Um, and Mariner estimates they weighed about 30 pounds, and some of the largest yams were at least 60 to 70 pounds. 
And of course, uh, the young Finau being as curious and being the intellectual that he is, um, he wanted to sleep on the ship that night. And so his chiefs were like, no, and they were so against it. But uh, he eventually won that fight and he spent the night aboard the favorite. The women, however, they wished to return ashore because they didn't trust the strangers. And Mariner eased their minds by promising them he would promise to protect and take care of them, which he did. And so they ended up staying. The next day, canoes came alongside the favorite because, you know, they were all freaking out that Finau spent the night there. Um, and no more than three were allowed on the favorite at that time. And of course, the chiefs were just imploring Finau to please return ashore because they weren't sure of his safety and they feared for his safety. And they were fearing, actually, that he was planning to take off to the land of the Papalangi, the land of the white people. And they weren't wrong because uh, Finau actually wanted to go to England. The chiefs brought Kava with them, uh, but um, Finau refused the Kava because he had wine the night before. So they had like a really uh, elegant dinner aboard the ship and he got to taste, um, you know, British English food and, um, and got to drink wine. And he loved wine. And he actually said, this is what he said to Mariner, and I quote, he considered wine so much superior that the thoughts of Gava disgusted him. I'm going to have to uh, concur with uh, Finau on that part. Sorry, not sorry. So back to the dinner, uh, Mariner recalls how uh, Finau was just so enamored with European cuisine and new experiences like handling silverware for the first time. And he was just so determined to get it right. He displayed a natural politeness and a curiosity which just charmed everyone on the boat. And they remarked that his manners and intelligence were above and beyond any of the inhabitants they encountered in the Pacific. Hmm, kind of reeks of microaggression. Anyway, um, uh, Mariner goes on to describe just how inquisitive Finau was about all the objects that he saw on board. And he requested to test out the captain's bed so that he can boast to everyone in Vava'u that he's laid down on a palangi bed. And when he lay down on the bed, he said that he could actually picture himself in England. And so his chiefs were obviously correct in their assumptions about uh, this young Finau and his curiosities. So he was offered a lot of things, but he only wanted one thing from the captain. He wanted his hat. And so the captain gave him his hat. Finau finally returned ashore to um, calm his people down, uh, to tell them that, hey, I'm, I'm back. I'm not going anywhere. And he returned um, the next day with more food for the crew and presents for the captain, which included a spear, a club, a large bell of ngatu, a large hog, hundreds of ufi, and two canoes full of coconuts. All the while declaring to Mariner that he wants to go to England. On the third day since they arrived in Tonga, the favorite was getting ready to depart and continue on their way to China. And Mariner says, On the third day, which was the day of the brig's departure, his importunities on the subject became extremely urgent, so much so that I could not refrain expressing them to the captain, but who refused, as might be expected, to accede to a wish which seemed to promise no future good to an individual in Finau's circumstance, arriving in a strange country without protection and without patronage. 
This was a sore disappointment to him, as it must have been to one who was willing to make such a large sacrifice to the accomplishment of his hopes, to one who would have resigned a princely state and dignity, and all the respect paid by obedient subjects to an arbitrary monarch, for the sake of visiting a country where, as I explained to him, he could expect at best but a very inferior mode of life, comparing it with what he had been accustomed to. But the arguments with this gentleman used were all in vain. Finau would not and could not be divested of his wishes. He thought if he could but learn to read and write and think like a papalangi, that a state of poverty with such high accomplishments was far superior to regal authority in a state of ignorance. Mariner had to talk him out of it repeatedly, and finally Finau conceded, but he made Mariner promise him that he would return someday and take him to England. And Mariner promised him that he would, and him and Finau embraced and shed tears. Aww. But at the same time, no, don't do it. Don't, don't go. Mariner goes on to say, it would be very interesting to know what would be the result of removing an individual of Finau's disposition and intellectual powers from the state of society in which he had been brought up into a civilized country, into a scene so widely different from everything he had been accustomed to, where every circumstance would be new and every object calculated to draw forth the powers of his natural understanding, to judge of their propriety, absurdity, or excellence. Finau's intellect, as we shall by and by more clearly see when I take survey of his character, was far, very far above the common. There was interwoven in the very texture of his mind a spirit of philosophical inquiry, directed by the best of all motives, the desire of human improvement, not the offspring of common curiosity, but that of noble impulse, which goads the mind on in the pursuit of knowledge, at whatever risk and with whatsoever suffering. But I must leave this subject for the present to take a further view of the transactions of the boat. Finau asked Captain Fisk for a supply of armament to help him defend Vava'u against any invaders from Ha'apai or anywhere else, and Fisk agreed to this. Mariner mentions also that Finau was extremely proficient in using a musket, and he was quite the excellent shot. The entire time that Mariner was in Tonga, he had hidden the journal of the Porto Prince. And um, he, actually, his adopted mother, Mafihape, which we learned in the last episode, she left for Ha'apai to go take care of her uh, sick father. But she actually helped him in hiding this document. And so when the Porto Prince was raided, Ulkalala ordered that everything that was not of value be destroyed. But Mariner was able to save the journal and he kept it hidden. Uh, Mafihape actually hid it in her own collection of ngatus in her residence. And so when she left Vava'u uh, for Ha'apai, she returned the journal to Mariner. While he was on the ship, he needed his journal. And so he had sent some men to go back to his plantation to fetch the journal. And he detained Finau Fisi on the brig. So he was kind of like held hostage. I wouldn't be surprised if this was just something they had already agreed to do, but to uh, in order to get somebody to go ashore and grab the journal. And so that's what happened. He also had the men bring three of his shipmates from the Porto Prince who were living with him in Mava'u at the time, James Waters, Thomas Brown, and Thomas Dawson. Menor does mention that Finau Fisi thought he was going to be taken to England to stand trial 
for the Porto Prince, but Mariner assured him that he was innocent and that he would not be punished for an incident that he was not involved with. And so he's not a prisoner. He just needed to do this so to get his journal. Final Fisi wasn't in Hapai when this happened. I believe he was living in Fisi, so he wasn't even involved in that incident. Mariner writes, Final Fisi told me he should have been particularly sorry to have been taken away when his nephew was just in the infancy of his reign and might want his counsel and advice and thus be deprived of the pleasure of seeing him govern prosperously and making his people happy, which from his ability and excellent disposition, he had no doubt would be the case. The men arrived with a journal and two of the three Englishmen. Thomas Waters decided that he's just going to stay in Thoma because he was too old and he didn't think that he would survive such a long journey back to England. And so he enjoyed living the rest of his life in Vava'u, where he had every convenience that he desired. And I believe this is where the Waters families, um, the, there's a family from Vava'u, the last name Waters. I believe this must be their ancestor. Um, if anybody knows, please let me know. Chime in. Mariner goes on to mention that Finau's sister, who was only 15 years old when this happened, uh, brought several of her uh, women of high rank from Vava'u to the ship because she wanted to show them some of the things that she saw. So I think she was the sister that he initially brought on the um, ship a couple of days before. Mariner describes her as a very beautiful and lively young girl. She proposed in a joke that she and the Tongan women she brought on board should visit England and see the white women. Mariner says, she asked if they would allow her to wear the Tongan dress. Though perhaps she said that they would not do so in such a cold country in the winter season. I don't know what I should do at the time. Doki tells me that you have hot houses for plants from warm climates. So I should like to live all winter in a hot house. Could I bathe there two or three times a day without being seen? I wonder whether I should stand a chance of getting a husband. But my skin is so brown. I suppose none of the young Papalangi men would have me. And it would be a great pity to leave so many handsome young chiefs at Vava'u and go to England to live a single life. If I were to go to England, I would amass a great quantity of beads and then I should like to return to Tonga. Because in England, beads are so common that nobody would admire me for wearing them. And I should not have the pleasure of being envied. She thought the custom of having only one wife a very good one, provided the husband loved her. And if not, it was a very bad one, because he would tyrannize over her the more. Whereas if his attention was divided between five or six, and he did not behave kindly towards them, it would be very easy to deceive him. You know what? She ain't wrong about that. Mariner continues, these observations of which I was interpreter afforded very great amusement. Finau, the late Tutonga's son, about 12 years of age, and the females now commenced dancing and singing at the request of the captain, which gave the ship's company much entertainment. By the way, that Tuitonga's son that he mentions of 12 years old, he would actually be the very last Tuitonga in Tongan history. So the favorite is getting ready to depart, but prior to departing, Finau and his Vava'u chiefs give Mariner messages to pass on to Tupoutoa and the chiefs of Ha'apai. To stay content with Ha'apai and don't ever think of invading Vava'u, look to the prosperity of your own dominion, for that is the way to preserve peace and happiness. Mariner writes, Tell him again, said he, that the best way to make a country powerful and strong against all enemies is to cultivate it well. 
for then the people have something worth fighting for and will defend it with invincible bravery. I have adopted this plan and his attempts upon Vava'u will be in vain. Several warriors sent insulting messages to the Ha'apai people saying, We shall be very happy to see them at Vava'u, and we will take care to entertain them well, and give them plenty of bearded spears to eat. And besides, we have got some excellent Thoa wood clubs, of which we shall be glad to give them an additional treat. We hope they will come and see us before they shall have worn out the fine Vava'u Ngatu, of which they took away so much when they last visited us. And you know, that is the Vava'u spirit, Ta'efieto, like, they just can't let things go. Let it go. Let it go. And these same people even propose a plan to hide 200 Vava'u warriors in the favorite. Kind of like a Trojan horse situation where once they get to Ha'apai, they would ambush Ha'apai. But of course, Captain Fisk was like, ah, hell no. And Finau hasn't forgotten his uh, dear uh, stepmother, uh, Mafihape, who I think... You know, Mafihape was closer to him in age, and so I imagine their relationship was probably a little different. The dynamics of it was probably different compared to um, Mafihape and Finau Ulukalala. And so Finau sent uh, presents for Mafihape consisting of a bale of fine ngatu, some beads, and then his wife sent three valuable Samoan fine mats. And Mariner writes that their presence uh, was a representation of their ofa ta'etuku, which uh, translates to love enduring, which is so cool. I think we need to go back to that, calling our gifts for each other ofa ta'etuku. Finau embraced Mariner for the last time in the most affectionate manner and made him repeat his promise to return someday and take him to England so he might learn books of history, astronomy, and inquire a balangi mind as he was content to leave Ava'u to the care of his uncle. Mariner writes, At this parting, abundance of tears were shed on both sides. Finau returned to his canoe with a heavy heart, and I felt all the same sweet bitterness of parting from much-loved friends to visit one's native country. I bade a long adieu to the brave and wise Finau Fisi, to the spirit and heroic Hala'api Api, natural characters which want of opportunity render scarce, or which are not observable amid the bustle and business of civilized life. The canoe returned to the beach, and the ship got underway and steered her course to the Ha'apai Islands, leaving Vava'u and all her flourishing plantations lessening in the distance. In taking leave of those with whom we have long resided, and whose ways and habits we have gotten accustomed to, whose virtues have gained our esteem, and whose kindness have won our affections, in leaving them and the scenes that surround them, never to return, the human heart feels a sad void, which no lapse of time, no occupation, no new friendship seem likely to ever fill up. All their good qualities rush upon the mind in new and lively colors, all their faults appear amiable weaknesses essential to their character. When we lose a friend by death, we compare it by way of consolation to a long absence at a long distance. But it is equally just to reverse the comparison and to say of a separation like this that this is as death, which at one cruel stroke deprives us of many friends. Wow, that's so heartwarming. Mariner then goes on and he describes uh, the young Finau. Finau, the present king of Vava'u, about 25 years of, wow, he's young, 25 years of age, was in stature 5 feet 10 inches, so he was shorter than his father, well-proportioned, athletic, and graceful. His countenance displayed a beautiful expression of openness and sincerity. 
His features, taking them all together, were not quite so strongly marked, nor was his forehead quite so high as those of his father. Nevertheless, they expressed an ample store of intellect. Notwithstanding the benevolent mildness and play of good humor in his countenance, his eyes shot forth a penetrating look of inquiry from beneath a prominent brow that seemed to be the seat of intelligence. The lower part of his face was well made, his teeth were very white, his lips seemed ever ready to express something good-humored or witty. His whole physiognomy, compared with that of his late father, possessed less dignity, but more benevolence, less chiefly like superiority, but more intellect. His whole exterior was calculated to win the esteem of the wise and good, while that of his father was well adapted to command the admiration of the multitude. The character of the father was associated with the sublime and powerful, that of the son with the beautiful and engaging. His language was strong, concise, and expressive, with a voice powerful, deep, and melodious. His eloquence fell short of effect compared with that of his father, but he did not possess the art of dissimulation. The speech which he made on coming into power struck all the Matapules with astonishment. They wondered to hear so much eloquence tempered with wisdom, so much modesty combined with firmness, proceed from the lips of such a young man, and they prophesied well of him, that he would reign in the affections of all his people, and have no conspiracies or civil disturbances to fear. His general deportment was engaging, his step firm, manly, and graceful. He excelled in all athletic sports, racing, wrestling, boxing, and club fighting. He was cool and courageous, but a lover of peace. He was fond of mirth and good humor. He was a most graceful dancer. He was passionately delighted with romantic scenery, poetry, and vocal concerts. This had been set aside in great measure during his father's warlike reign, but when the son came into power, he revived them and had bands of professed singers at his house almost every night. He used to say that the song amused men's minds and made them accord with each other, caused them to love their country and to hate conspiracies. He was of the most humane and benevolent disposition, but far, very far from being weak in this respect, for he was a lover of justice. The people readily referred to him for a decision of their private quarrels, on which occasions he was never thought to have judged rashly. If he could not immediately decide, he adjourned the cause till the next day, and in the meantime took the trouble to further inquire particulars of those who knew more on the matter. If he was severe with anybody, it was with his own servants, for he used to say that his father was too partial to them, by which means that they had become assuming, taking upon themselves a character of chiefs and oppressing others of the lower orders. But now he would make them know their proper places. If they did anything wrong, they trembled in his presence. Nevertheless, the benevolence of his heart was wonderfully expressed in his manners. While he was yet on board the ship, Captain Fist desired me to tell him that it would be bad policy for him to ever attempt taking a ship as it would have prevented other ships from coming to trade with them, or if they came at all, it might be to punish him and his people for their treachery. Finau's intellect was also very extraordinary, and that is to say it was naturally very strong and was very little obscured by prejudices. We have seen several instances of the wisdom of his conduct, and a few anecdotes will serve to show you that his specific reasoning faculty was very far above the common. 
He had learned the mechanism of a gun lock by his own pure investigation. One day, on taking off the lock of a pistol to clean it, he was astonished to find it somewhat differently contrived and a little more complicated than the common lock, which he had thought so clever and perfect that he could not conceive anything better. On seeing this, however, he was somewhat puzzled at first with the mechanism and afterwards with its superiority to the common lock, but he would not have it explained to him. It was an interesting puzzle which he wished to have the pleasure of solving himself. At length, he succeeded and was as pleased as if he found a treasure. And in the afternoon at Kaba, he was not contented till he had made all his chiefs and matapules understand it also. He did not know the existence of the pulse till I informed him of it and made him feel his own, at which he was greatly surprised and wanted to know how the Papalangis first found it out. He was informed at the same time that the pulse was influenced by various diseases and passions of the mind, and that in most parts of the world, those whose profession it was to cure diseases often judged of the state of the complaint by the pulse. Upon which he went to two or three that felt ill to feel their pulses, and was much delighted with the new discovery. A few days afterwards, one of his servants very much offended him by some unwarrantable act, upon which he became violently angry, but on a sudden the thought struck him of the association between the passions and the pulse, and immediately applying his hand to his wrist, he found it beating violently, upon which, turning to me, he said, You are quite right. It put him in such good humor that the servant got off with a mild remonstrance, which astonished the fellow very much, as he did not understand the cause and was sitting trembling from head to foot in full expectation of a beating. In the next couple of paragraphs, uh, Mariner goes on to rehash just uh, some of his experiences and reflections on Hala Api Api and Finao Fisi. The favorite arrives in Ha'apai and a vast number of canoes came alongside it and several of the chiefs were allowed to uh, board the ship. Mariner made sure to find and procure any Englishmen who might be stranded there, including several from the Porto Prince. The cooper Robert Brown, who had been living in Ha'apai under the protection of Vuna and Tupoto'a, he boarded the favorite but uh, volunteered to go search for the other survivors because he knew of their whereabouts. Captain Fist did allow him to go but uh, warned him also that if he doesn't come back on time that he would be left behind. Brown went to Nomuka in search of carpenter George Wood but he discovered that Wood and four other Englishmen went to Tongatapu with Tupoto'a to assist him in um, the battles that were happening over there in Hihifo. But he did bring back um, Emmanuel Perez, who was a Spaniard, uh, a man by the name of Joseph, and he was an African, um, Nicholas Blake, Thomas Eversfield, and William Brown. They were 17 years old. They refused to leave and remained in Tonga. Mariner states, James Waters, Nicholas Blake, William Brown, Thomas Eversfield, George Wood, William Singleton, Alexander McKay, a Negro boy by the name of John Roberts, and the half-Hawaiian child of William Stevenson all remained in Tonga. So I'm wondering if that's where the Blake name comes from, because that's also a name in Tonga, the Blakes. Um, so hey, if that's your family, this is pretty awesome. Mariner went to look for Mafihape in Ha'apai, but uh, could not find her. And he writes, I was much disappointed on finding that my adopted mother, Mafihape, was gone to a distant island to see some friend. 
The presents that I brought for her from the king and the queen I left, therefore, with one of her relations, to be given to her as soon as she returned, with some presents from myself to keep in remembrance of me. I sent on shore to the island of Foa for the old Matapule, the confidant of Halaapiapi, and communicated to him the message from that chief. I also communicated to Tupoutoa the king's advice to him, namely never attempt to invade Bavau, but to confine himself to the cultivation and prosperity of his own islands. To which he replied that war was necessary to keep the minds of his chiefs employed, that they might not meditate conspiracies, and that he should therefore direct his arms against some of the garrisons at the island of Tongatapu. He had the greatest respect, he said, for Finau's family, but he could not help it if some of his chiefs, as on the late occasion, made attacks upon Vava'u, for want of other employment. One of the warriors who was engaged in that unsuccessful ex expedition was now on board. He was wounded on that occasion in the arm by a ball from my musket. About 12 months ago, he laid a wager with me that I could not hit a mark which he put on a coconut tree at a certain distance with my musket. The bet was a pig. I accepted the wager and the king promised to pay the pig if I lost. It happened, however, that I missed and the king lost his pig. The warrior, as soon as he saw me on board, came up to me and said, smiling, I find you can shoot better than you did at that coconut tree. I inquired about his wound and was happy to find out that it had gotten nearly well. The ball had passed through the fleshy part of the arm. His hapai surgeon, however, had laid the wound considerably open and managed it very well. Tupotoa and Vuna both asked me why I had chosen to remain at Vava'u, and if they had not behaved equally kind to him as the king, or any of the Vava'u chiefs. To this I replied that I preferred Vava'u to the Ha'apai Islands, as the latter place brought to my mind many disagreeable remembrances. It was where my ship had been destroyed and where I had met many insults from the lower orders on my first arrival. Besides, I acknowledged that I preferred the disposition of the Vava'u people generally and that I thought it would be highly ungrateful in me to leave the protection of a family that had befriended me all along. In December of 1811, the favorite reached Fiji in the island of Bau. Merner writes, The favorite, having laid in her store of sandalwood after five or six days' stay at Bau, weighed anchor and resumed her voyage, and in about five weeks arrived at Macau. At an early opportunity, I procured the following certificate from Captain Fisk, thinking it might be of service to me as I was totally unknown to everybody. It said, This is to certify that the bearer, William Mariner, belonged to the unfortunate ship the Port-au-Prince, that was cut off at the Ha'apai Islands, and that he was taken from thence by the brig favorite. Signed, A. Fisk. Macau Roads, December 28, 1810. I had but little money in my possession, only about 50 or $60, part of which had been given to me by my late adopted mother, Mafihape. The remainder I procured from a female native of Lifuka by giving her a consideration for them in beads. These dollars belonged originally to the Port-au-Prince. I resolved, therefore, at the first opportunity to enter on board one of the company ships bound to England and work my passage home. While he was in Macau, Mariner met a crew from the Antelope, and after corroborating this story with uh, Captain Fisk, he was invited by the captain to board the ship, where he worked and remained for a couple of months while waiting for passage to England. It was the ship, the Cuffnell, that received Mariner and allowed him passage to England. And finally, June 1811, the Cuffnell arrived in Gravesend, England, 
Manner immediately went to his father's home, but he was no longer living there. So he wrote a letter to a friend, letting him know that he had just arrived and to pass on the word to his father if he knows of his whereabouts. And eventually, this letter reached his father, and they were finally reunited seven years later. Seven years! And when they、um, reunited, he lamented and revealed to Mariner that his, his mother、um, and his wife died while he was still in Tonga. And his father actually revealed to him that William Towell, he was a shipmate from the Port au Prince, he was actually able to、um, get on a schooner and eventually made his way home to England. And he communicated to Mariner's father that he was actually in Tonga and he was still alive.、Um, but The situation he presented to the father was hopeless and that he might just never see him again. And so Mariner's dad always knew that he was alive. He just didn't know、um, if he would ever be reunited with his son. And so they finally meet, and Mariner is finally back home in England. In the following paragraphs of this chapter, he gives us an inventory of the crew members of the Port au Prince. So originally there w a s 52 crewmen. Eight were natives of Hawaii. If you remember、uh, at the beginning of the podcast,、um, the Port au Prince stopped in Hawaii before it came to Tonga. And it was actually en route to Tahiti before it got blown off course and they ended up in Hapai.、Um, of the 26 Englishmen, 22 were slaughtered during the raid on the Port au Prince. Mr. Brown, the whaling master, and three others were killed on shore. And the remaining 26, John Scotland was a gunner. James Meyer was a seaman. William Ford was a seaman. They left Nomuka in a small paddling canoe and they were never heard from again. Assumed to be lost because they found、uh, fragments of the paddles and also fragments of the little boat that they left in. John Hersey was a sailmaker. He left the island of Tonga in an American vessel.、Um, and Mariner heard that he accidentally drowned in Fiji. And this was reported to some Englishmen while he was in Fiji. Hugh Williams was a seaman, John Parrish and Jeremiah Higgins were landsmen. They escaped from Vava'u in an American vessel nearly two years before Mariner left. Actually, could have hopped on this ship, but he was rejected by the captain because they just didn't have enough room for him.、Uh, he mentions William Towell, which I just、uh, talked about before. He was the one that、uh, communicated with Mariner's father after escaping from Tonga that Mariner is actually still alive. Uh, and Mariner actually mentions that he is living in England and knows where he's at and mentions the name of the street.、Uh, John Watson was a seaman. He had gone to Fiji with a Tongan chief, but did not hear of anything while he was there in Fiji.、Uh, Mariner didn't hear anything about him. And then the others Samuel Carlton, George Wood, William Singleton, Alexander McKay. So I mentioned these names earlier too. They were at Tongatapu at the time the favor arrived. At the Ha'apai Islands, so they lost their opportunity to escape. Samuel Carlton eventually came away afterwards in another vessel.、Uh, James Waters, that I mentioned earlier, stayed in Vava'u. There is a family with the last name Waters that、um, I'm gonna assume comes from him.、Uh, Nicholas Blake, William Brown, Thomas Eversfield, and then John Roberts,、um, the black native of the island of Tortola. They refused to leave、uh, Ha'apai、um, and they stayed there for the remainder of their lives. William Stevenson, a child of two years of age, a native of the Hawaiian Islands,、um, he was adopted by a Botany Bay convict who was a resident at Oahu 
and he was a sailmaker, and so he was on board of the Port-au-Prince um, with his uh, two-year-old boy, and so um, the child was adopted by the daughter of the late king, the widow of the late Tuitonga, and was much noticed, and he probably still remains at Wava'u, and must be about 12 years old, being two when he left his father. So that's interesting. Um, there is a Tongan family in Vava'u, probably with Hawaiian um, ancestry related to this person. Um, let's see. He mentions uh, the other names I've already mentioned before. Um, Thomas Brown got employment on board one of the homebound vessels from China and came to England in the same fleet with me. And Thomas Dawson has been in London. So these are all the people that was on the Port-au-Prince. Um, and this is the what happened to them. Interestingly, we find out from the Journal of Pacific Histories, the paper written by I.C. Campbell, the demise of the Tuikanokpolu, 1799-1827. to It's just an update on what happened in Tonga after Mariner left. So Tupo Toa takes his warriors to Tongatapu, and if you remember Takai from uh, the episode where Ulukalala went to um, take down that fort in Nuku'alofa with the cannons, right? And so after he uh, won that battle, destroyed the fort, but then he also stayed in Tongatapu and rebuilt it. And he left it in charge of Takai. Takai came in pretense of wanting to be his ally. And of course, like all of these important figures in Tongan history, they're all interrelated somehow. And uh, this was a relation. And um, and as soon as uh, Ulkalala departed the shores of Tongatapu, he turned around and the fort, Takai, burnt to the ground. And so, um, so this is the same Takai. And so Tupotoa waged war with Takai at Hihifo and Takai proposed a truce and suggested that Tupotoa become the next Tuikanokpolu, which was beyond the scope of Takai uh, because he didn't have that authority. Um, and Tupo reluctantly agreed, Tupo Toa, and he ended up taking one of Takai's daughters as a wife. And part of this arrangement is that uh, he would take, uh, Tupo Toa would uh, return to Hapai. However, uh, sadly and unexpectedly, Finau passed away. So the awesome Finau Moengangongo, uh, he passed away while still very young and shortly after Mariner left um, left Vava'u and apparently I'm reading in um, one of these uh, in my research I find out that he actually died of the plague and one of the things with missionaries at the time that was coming from Europe they were coming in increasing numbers to Tonga and so uh, also into Vava'u and with the, the increase of the European presence in Tonga also brought diseases. And so this is one of the things we don't talk about because we like to um, romanticize this part of our Christian uh, history, um, you know, and, and all we talk about is, oh, yeah, they brought the Bible and the word and blah, blah, blah. But they also brought diseases and the diseases killed off a lot of the chiefs, the important chiefs of that time. And unfortunately, this also includes Finau Moingangongo, who we've just, um, you know, read from Mariner's point of view, just so many awesome things about him and um, his character. And, you know, uh, aside from his desire to wanting to go to England, you know, if, if I was um, 
if I had a time machine, I would go back and say, no, you don't want to do that. England is very overrated. But um, but it's just sad to read that that's what came of him. He died of um, a disease that came from overseas. And sadly, in my research, I find out that Finau Fisi and Hala Api Api, um, you know, these were men that um, Mariner um, often talked about and held in high esteem. But listen to what happened to them. So after uh, Finau Moengangongo passes away, which was so unexpected, Finau Fisi stepped in to um, fill that gap. But eventually, something happened. There was some kind of disagreement with Hala Api Api, who we know to be very unpredictable and very unstable. But he was his close friend, and he killed him. He killed him. And so um, he took over Vava'u, um, and he was going to expand. So, you know, he had some ambitions to expand um, his uh, reach into other parts of Tongatapu. But fortunately... Um, he was subdued and he was killed by Paongo. And all these people and all these events are connected to modern Tonga as we know it today because Tupo Toa's son eventually, Tau Fahau, would become King Xiaosi Tupo I and he would eventually usher Tonga into the modern era, becoming the first chief. He succeeded where everyone else has failed to unite all of Tonga under his rule. And he converted to Christianity. And so this is the legacy that's been left for us today. And this, boys and girls, this is the end of the podcast. Oh, my gosh. I have to tell you, I had to pause um, on the part where Mariner and um, Finau were saying their final goodbyes to each other. Because I was so sad. And um, I, I got a little emotional there, I have to admit. But I paused. Uh, and uh, had a little uh, cup of warm tea. Plus, you can tell my voice is kind of like going out. But uh, such a such a cool moment. And just um, this entire saga, this epic saga. And to have Mariner just be, you know, there in the front seat to witness all of these great events. Um, significant events that really shaped uh, Tonga into the Tonga that we know of today. So... Um, that is the end of Mariner's story, but actually, there is one more episode, and this episode uh, transpires from events that happened 21 years later. So um, take a break, take a bathroom break, get something to drink, and uh, join us in the next episode. Um, you know, you know how Disney movies have like end of the credit scenes. Well, this is going to be the next episode. Is the next is the end of the credit scenes for this entire saga because it really although mariner is home but uh, it doesn't end there um and we will find out in the next episode so and thank you again for listening thank you for all of your um support and your patience and um until next time